This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Thanks for listening to the Trial Legends Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Jessica Mosher. Jessica was appointed president, publisher, and CEO of the University of Toronto Press in November 2021 after 25 years working in educational publishing. The University of Toronto Press, or UTP, is Canada's leading academic publisher and is one of the largest university presses in North America, publishing books and journals for academic, trade, and higher education. UTP also manages the distribution for other publishers and imprints, both in Canada and globally, while also operating the University of Toronto bookstores across its three main campuses, serving over 95,000 students and 15,000 faculty. Jessica has ridden the highs and lows of an industry that certainly has seen its fair share of disruption over the years, proving that the greatest truism for the publishing industry is that the only constant is change. Welcome, Jessica, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you? And... How are you? Thank you so much, Andrew. It's uh, great to be here. And uh, I am sitting in one of our offices at uh, Bayon College, uh, lunchtime. So watching uh, the crowds go by, which is always interesting. I love uh, little people watching while I usually eating my lunch. I am doing well. Thank you. Very grateful for being where I am and uh, just recognizing the world is a little bit in um, bad space right now. So I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Yes. Well, I want to ask what part of town you reside in and how often you are physically on one of the University of Toronto's uh, campuses. So I am um, actually based in Riverdale. So I'm uh, downtown uh, and they say what they say about Toronto. Uh, I'm originally from Montreal, actually lived on the West Coast for a number of years and then have been in Toronto for over 20 years now. And they always talk about the city as being a city of neighborhoods. And I, I it is it is so true. Uh, and I know everybody is fond of their particular neighborhood. So I'm in the Riverdale, kind of Leslieville area, which is wonderful. And uh, the campuses, so uh, University of Toronto Press is very closely aligned with the university, but a separate entity. So we have a couple of um, uh, spots that are outside of the campus, but just adjacent, which is lovely, here uh, at in downtown, right beside the St. George campus as well as in uh, North York, our distribution center is right uh, by the Downsview campus. But we also, one of our closest relationships with the university is we run the bookstores, as you said at the at the, uh, the beginning. And uh, so St. George, uh, Mississauga, and Scarborough, I love all three campuses. I probably spend the most time at the St. George campus, just given that uh, we've got a couple of uh, groups here Um but Scarborough and Mississauga are amazing always to visit. There's so much going on. Um, building in Mississauga, same with Scarborough, uh, really um, diverse uh, sort of uh, parts of our, our city. So I love spending time on campuses um, in all three spots. Well, of course, Canadian Thanksgiving has come and gone. And as we chat, U.S. Thanksgiving weekend is in full swing. Now, Thanksgiving, of course, is a major marker in each university academic year, usually a time for students to head home with their laundry and a chance to eat a proper meal again. 
I wanted to ask, being in the university environment, do you find you also mark the time by these major academic year milestones? Yes, uh, we do for mainly for our bookstore part of the business, for sure, without question. When it comes to our publishing uh, group uh, and our distribution group, I think we follow the cycles of the retail space and the academic library space, which is our primary sort of customer base. Um, so, yeah, we, we do the ebbs and flows. Um, and uh, as a mother of three, I experience the laundry at home and all the, all the most of my kids are, are, are primarily out of that now, but, uh, but I certainly welcome it. And it's always a nice part of the fall uh, is to see those cycles for sure. Absolutely. Come home and raid the fridges. Exactly. Laundry, cooking, all that stuff. Well, let's start with the basics. I've been sure we've all seen a book on the back of it, UTP. It's been published by UTP. What is UTP or University of Toronto Press? So the publishing part of our of University of Toronto Press uh, focuses on a few different types of books. We do um, a lot of the primary spot that we publish in is the academic library space, the academic market. So we take um, in both our books and journals, actually, we, we, we have both books and journals. We take research and make it and disseminate that research more broadly uh, in the academic space. It's for peer-to-peer, for students and the like. Um, but we also publish, in addition to kind of that academic area, we also publish in the trade space. Um, we have several imprint, imprints, which is really uh, an area where you take some of these topics that we're, so it's all nonfiction. Some of these topics are very strong in environment, history, political figures, the like, and we'll publish um, more general audience type of uh, uh, books in that area. Uh, similarly, in our journals, we have more general interest. That's in our publishing uh, arm. In our distribution arm, um, so we we run distribution. Um, so we physically distribute books for ourselves, uh, Free University of Toronto Press, for all the university presses in Canada, a large number of presses uh, in the U.S. and globally. But we also distribute for a great number of trade publishers and educational publishers. So uh, in another area, we're, we're sort of greatly involved with books and the like, and that's distributing for our clients to bookstores across the country. Um, so that's another area where we're quite active when it comes to books. Excellent. And then, of course, there's the retail arm. And why don't you hold on that for a second, because I'll ask you specifically about it. But let's go back. So these three major divisions, publishing, distribution, retail. Let's start with publishing. Do you actually physically print and publish the books, or is that subcontracted out? We work with the authors, we create the content, we do the copy editing, we do this and that, and then we work with third parties in, t- in terms of the actual printing of the books. And then it comes back to our warehouse, as I mentioned, our distribution, and then we physically distribute, and then we work with other partners globally for distributing the actual physical. And then in publishing, we also work with what we call aggregators. So there's a number of EBSCO being one that's an, an aggregate a lot of folks have heard of. So for the library space, they, they bring a lot of content together, more digital content. And so we work with them on distributing our content outside um, into the library space. Now, as you've noted, your work is nonfiction, but would you distribute that through major book retailers such as Indigo or Barnes & Noble in the U.S., or do you work with them at all? We do, for sure, particularly in that area that I mentioned, the trade area. So we work, uh, we distribute our content into the trade spaces, and then obviously our our, uh, our clients in our distribution center, though the the independent bookstores, Indigo, Barnes & Noble in the U.S., are obviously major uh, major parts of their market space as well. 
Now, another division is UTPD, or University of Toronto Press Distribution, where, as yeah. you know, you handle the book distribution services for more than 70 imprints. Now, you already kind of noted, Jessica, all of these are academically focused, or sometimes it would be outside that realm? No, they are all the university presses in Canada, a large number globally, and then a lot of trade publishing houses. So uh, so Canadian trade publishers, we're very proud. We always talk about the number of Governor General award winners or Giller nominees in our, in our distribution center. So a lot of great Canadian trade uh, publishers there, as well as great educational publishers. The third major division is retail. Let's talk about the U of T bookstore. I assume this is where I get my Varsity Blues hoodie when I want to support the team. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so in our retail spaces, as you mentioned, they're across the three campuses. So we really service the 97,000 students at uh, university and the 35,000 administration and faculty. Uh, so for us, it's really a connection with the university campuses. And we focus in a, in several areas. One, as you mentioned, is the hoodies and the and the general merchandise. And, and some people say to me, what does, you know, a hoodie have to do with uh, academic publishing or university press? And I actually think it, it has a lot. I, I, I love that we have that connection. I love um, Merrick Gertler, the president of the university. One of his uh, main strategies is redefining the undergraduate student experience. And I feel like that sort of sense of school spirit and uh, be it varsity or U of T, every time I walk around campus and see the multiple U- University of Toronto hoodies, I'm just proud and happy. I really do think that's a that's an important part of, of the student experience. So we have that in our bookstores, but we, al- we also are a trade publisher. So if anybody's uh, kind of wanting to buy a trade book, we have a wonderful selection. And then one of the main roles we play uh, in the bookstore is with the, the students and delivering course materials to students. And we've seen a lot of disruption in that space, obviously a lot of um, pressure on students in terms of cost. So our mission is really to uh, enable uh, as affordable materials as possible to all students if we can. So we're really working closely with the university on things like digital delivery pilots and whatever we can do to 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 uh, allow students the affordable, great materials to help them pass their courses. Well, certainly when I think of the bookstore, I think of the hoodies and I think of the course material. So That's I would have right. presumed that students interact with UTP at the beginning of a semester, they get their books, and then that's it. But how do you serve as a resource for students all year round? Yeah, I um, and again, I came into the University of Toronto Press two years ago, so I'm just getting to know the team and the group uh, overall. And uh, when I came in, I was so impressed, actually, with the work that the retail had already done. I mentioned that sort of goal to redefine the undergraduate student experience. It's a it maybe it's only one measure point, but when you look at our Instagram ca- account for for the University of Toronto Bookstore, it's about it's over twenty thousand followers, and this is sort of students following the bookstore. I think that's a significant number. You know, this is their their own space and they're uh, voluntarily following us. But we have a wonderful marketing group and a, a, our retail group is, is fantastic. So again, it's not just about the course materials, although that's a critical piece to it. Uh, students are in there. We always say we're sort of a safe space. We're, we're not grading them. We're not, we're simply providing services and they come to us with a lot of questions, uh, maybe because of where we're located and the like. So I think it's a pretty steady stream. It's not. I think it's a. It is a steady stream of students throughout the semester for various reasons and various services. So we're really happy to have that relationship with the university. Well, I think what's really interesting is you're not just books. You're not just the team wear. I guess 
you talked about it a little bit, define UTP's role in the entire University of Toronto community. Yeah, I think our mission is to connect ideas for a greater world. And we feel like that really hits on all of the different functions, all of the different groups that we have. It's really about uh, connecting ideas, be it through what we we're just talking about with students and ensuring that they have great materials for their courses, be it through our publishing company, uh, our publishing division in terms of taking academic research and making it uh, more readily available, making it more readily, so disseminating it to a broader audience, be it through our distribution, which is really about taking great ideas and disseminating those books, that content. I love the fact that Toronto is in our name. Uh, I think I'm very, very proud of that fact uh, in, in all the groups that we uh, sort of service, because it really is about diversity of voice, diversity of ideas. Right now, the world is in, I think, dire or continued need of great vetted content. And so I'm, I'm very proud to be part of the group and the fact that we're sort of, uh, as I said, connecting ideas for a better world in various ways. Well, let's talk about that a little, because as you note, with UTP or University of Toronto Press, Toronto is, as you note, actually in the name. But I guess you'd agree that you need to have not just a Canadian perspective, but a, a global perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, again, um, I could speak to it in all our functions, uh, but sort of looking at maybe uh, the publishing function. Again, when I came in, I was so pleased to see we have created some of the most important Canadian works uh, through the 100. We're coming up on our 125th anniversary in a couple of years. So so to to go back in the vaults and sort of see Marshall McLuhan, the Vertical Mosaic, all these amazing, incredible standards uh, in the Canadian space, and we're very strong on our Canadian history and politics and the like. But we also have a, a, a massive global audience uh, in some of our existing strengths and some of the areas that we're leaning into and 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 growing. I can give you an example. We, I mentioned we publish uh, sometimes for a broader trade audience. So David Miller published a book with us uh, a few years ago, former Mayor David Miller, around the environment and the work that cities can do within the environment. Um, and that was through our imprint, AVO, which is one of our trade imprints. We had a great partnership with David, wonderful book. He enjoyed working with us. And he is, um, as many know, the work he does in the environment he works with an organization called the C40 Group. And the C40 Group is, a, I guess it was originally 40 mayors, but now it's over 100 mayors in cities across the globe that are really enacting uh, sort of changes with the environment. So David liked working on the book with us, uh, was talking about the work with the C40 Group. And so we actually established a journal. So regular, you know, quarterly updates and the authorship in that journal that we work closely with David and, and the C40 group is any is from administration to researchers to young student activists. It's really amazing. And again, that's where I take a very local, you know, local Toronto author, and then you bring it out and you disseminate. And the topic, obviously, environment is something that affects us here locally, but is such uh, an important kind of global uh, and and the the work that we do is very much geared towards global audiences and some of those other topic areas. So, really fun. That's a great example. Yeah, as they say, uh, think local, act global, or is it think global, act local? But I guess either way, you do. You got to have both those perspectives all the exactly. time. Exactly. Now, on this podcast, we love to talk business and about the business angle of things. You are a business. 
you are owned and operated by the University of Toronto, or how would you describe the structure? No, we're not, actually. Uh, and each university press is sort of distinct, but we are uh, an independent not-for-profit. Uh, now, obviously, we have a lot of uh, close relationships with the university and um, a close relationship with the governing council of the university, but we are uh, uh, sort of independent from them. And uh, so that, again, some university presses report into their, to, to the university in their name, but we are, we are independent. And that's been uh, for quite some time now. So it's, it's an interesting relationship and learning all about that uh, has been fun the last couple of years. Well, a typical business has a mandate to earn a profit, but you are not a typical business. As you know, Jessica, you're a not-for-profit university press. So what is your mandate? Connecting Ideas for a Better World is our mission. What we really are focused on is the dissemination of great content, peer-reviewed, valued content, the dissemination of our trade clients, uh, our educational clients, and meeting with students. The thing about a not-for-profit, though, is that it's still a business. And as I say, we are a not-for-profit. doesn't mean we don't make a profit. It actually just means that we're very careful in what we what we invest in. And it's always a reinvestment back into our mission. That is really what a not-for-profit is about. So reinvestment back into making sure that we are being true to what our whole mission and, and, and vision is. And uh, so, yeah. Like all businesses, we see the ups and downs and the twists and turns and and, and all of that. For sure. And yep. like all businesses, the especially yours, a workforce that's very diverse. You've got UTP employees that might be at the bookstore or they're at the press or at their warehouse. How do you manage such a huge workforce that is so diverse? It's uh, it's one of the you know wonderful things about working uh, with the at the at UTP is is uh, the fact that we have such an amazing culture and we do over fifty percent of our our um, group sort of identifies as from a racialized uh, community or the the like you know uh, well over fifty percent of our workforce is uh, are female. So it's it's a very kind of mixed, interesting, and I think in some ways reflects the city, but we can always, uh, there's always room for improvement uh, in terms of making sure we are representative, that we are kind of um, representing the city that within and the country within which we uh, work. But I think I have a very strong management team, and that really helps in terms of strong leadership. When I first came, I think we were a little bit more working within each of our groups. And what we've been really focused on the last couple of years is seeing the commonality across retail, across distribution, across publishing, and the ways that we can benefit each other with more of that collaboration and understanding. So it's uh, a challenge and an opportunity always. Things like COVID was very hard for all companies. We have a diverse workforce with very different roles. So um, some of our folks went home right away and stayed home. Some of our folks were still on the warehouse floor or the retail floor. And then when you're looking at bringing everybody back in, how do you do it in an equitable manner that, that works for the, the reality that some people ha- you know, can work from home? So it's, it's always a give and take. I think listening, we do an annual survey, but I always say to my team, don't survey unless we're going to act on it. You, know, you don't want to ask questions unless you actually do something with it. So yeah. Don't be afraid to ask the questions, but you've got to work with the answers. Exactly. Exactly. Something interesting you also said was, I just had Bill Manning on the podcast. He's at MLSE, and he's the president of the Toronto Argonauts and Toronto FC. And he brought aboard the legendary Michael Pinball Clemens. And Pinball Clemens taught him, build bridges, not silos. 
And you kind of alluded to that a little. You want to talk a little more about the changes you've seen in all these different divisions and how maybe you're working through bridges more together. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, and I, I must say, I was having dinner the other night with one of our, our groups uh, in North York, and, and I was sitting beside somebody who had been with our company for, I was congratulating her for 30 years. Somebody else was 37 years. Somebody else was close to 40. We also have a very young, vibrant, new uh, kind of part of our company. But listening to, uh, I asked, I asked the question, what, what, you know, if you could change one thing, what would you change? And one of the people I was speaking with, who I respect greatly, said, you know, UTP first, like always looking at the commonality amongst what we do. Uh, so I say it's been a focus for a couple of years, but I also recognize what goes around comes around. You know, there's no new idea, you know. So, but I think it's critical, and I like the bridges sort of symbol. Uh, you know, change is the constant now, right? Where each of my groups is, is each of our groups at UTP is going through disruption, but there are so many common aspects of it. And I think the more that we can embrace that and learn from each other uh, with a recognition that everybody's got their function, I think you become a, a stronger culture, stronger organization through that. Great. Let's talk about some current issues. Going digital. Are yes. printed books and particularly textbooks no longer even necessary, especially for a, a younger university community that's more comfortable with reading on their devices? It's a great question. Um, and I think, you know, since I've started, I've been in publishing for 30 years now, maybe. And I've always heard, will print go away? You know, is the printed book uh, gone? I heard that even 25, 30 years ago. So my opinion is that there's going to always be room for print. Is there a huge disruption in it right now? Absolutely, without question. Um, and you kind of mentioned students. So I think with the student, if we look at the traditional textbook market, uh, which is a market I spent a, a lot of time in publishing in and the like, without question, uh, there are a lot of changes necessarily. I think it's uh, been a number of factors, overpriced content, access to content, difficulty accessing it a whole, and how can you enable better experiences through a digital delivery mechanism, I think is critical, right? So it's not just replacing one with the other that's cheaper, more readily available. It's how can we enhance? Obviously, the biggest thing that people are talking about is AI uh, these days. And if you consider, I was saying to folks the other night, you know, it's like telling somebody not to use the internet or not to use a calculator, you know, like, are we really going to say that? What it implies and what it means for students is is yet to, to come. Um, but I think we have to be actively engaged in that conversation and particularly talking to our students. What are they using? What are the resources? I mentioned it earlier, but in our retail space, we're working really closely with the university, with the university IT group, with other publishers, the provost at the university with students, uh, we just did a whole bunch of student focus groups, which were amazing, on how do we make sure students are getting the materials that they need, if through the library, through a publisher, through their instructor, how are we enabling access to great materials that increase engagement, help students do better, and, you know, end up, we get sort of a better outcome out of everyone's experience and a better society in the end if we're well-informed, so... We're very much focused on that in the in that space. So a long-winded way of saying, I do believe uh, that print in course materials is declining, but I think there are other spots in publishing where print will remain to a certain extent. Uh, but digital is making everything interesting and 
all sorts of opportunities when it comes to digital and audio. Well, tied into that, of course, is what is the status of ebooks within UTP? Yeah. And again, uh, I just mentioned the student experience and the retail. When it comes to UTP publishing, um, we have for years sort of produced ebooks uh, for uh, both the academic market, the educational market, the trade market. We, I will say COVID supercharged that. Uh, I think everybody saw that in the industry. Uh, so much more adoption of the of the e content and much more interested in uh, interest in it. I do think it's sort of. Um, I was at an in- industry event recently, and they were talking about sixty five percent e and thirty five percent print. That was for a particular segment of the market, but they feel like it's kind of leveled out there. I think that's probably accurate. Although, again, as I mentioned, we've got a, a new disruptor on the space uh, when it comes to AI and the like. So. Uh, but I, I, because of um, reader preference, because of sometimes, you know, one doesn't necessarily cancel out the other uh, when it comes to print, audio, e. Uh, I think people want a variety of, of delivery mechanisms for their content depending on the, on the situation. So there's still room, but there's lots of change. Absolutely. Everyone consumes differently. Yeah. Now, I'm going to take advantage of your expertise. I'm going to digress a little into a segment that is probably better called Old Man Yells at Cloud. <laughs> I Maybe you can explain this to me. The book of the year, without yeah. question, and I, I won't accept debate on this, is Arnold Schwarzenegger's Be Useful. I understand when it's a physical book, if I go to the library, there's 300 people on the waiting list. I understand I can't have it till it's physically available. But when it's an e-copy of this book, why am I on a waiting list? Why can the industry not figure out a way for multiple people to enjoy this without waiting? From my, from what you've described, I would say that's a licensing question. And when it comes to, and uh, everybody thinks, oh, E is so much cheaper. Why can't we just, you know, open it up, access? E is not necessarily cheaper in all instances, in fact. And you still have the, everything that goes into making a book from author royalty to the con, you know, content creation and the like. And when libraries buy ebooks, they buy a certain license, and so that uh, so you know there's cost involved for the for the libraries as well uh, in terms of accessing that. So I would imagine what you're talking about on a wait list is the library has a certain number of copies that they've licensed and can reuse with various users. So I will accept that explanation. These <laughs> licensing, I just wish someone would figure it out. I don't know why. I have to wait. There's got to be a way to do it. But anyway, I'll put that out to the whole industry. Yeah. If you're enjoying this Toronto Legends interview with Jessica Mosher, please check out the more than 175 additional episodes available anytime. We got literary agent Brian Wood, as well as authors Steve Simmons, Ken Reed, Jim Lang, John Shannon, Jean-Jacques Taylor, and Kenny Albert. How they did it directly from the Toronto Legends themselves. All episodes available 24-7-365 wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk about something you mentioned, the role of AI and chat GPT, as especially in the creation and submission of student assignments. I wonder what's been your exposure or involvement in the new wave of digital plagiarism? It's a very compelling topic. And, and obviously, even though it's supercharged in the past year, it's still new and changing and the like. Maybe this is naive on my end, but I don't think people set out to plagiarize, to copy, to, uh, you know, use a... We've seen it for years in terms of um, illegal downloads on uh, texts and the like. Um, 
that's been historically something that we've sort of been able to explore more and understand more and talk to students about more. And there it's just, a, I need it, easy access, it's there, I know, you know, but I don't think it's a, you know, I want to, I think if we make things easier, if we make them affordable, if we make them uh, readily accessible, if we make them valuable in that instructors are using tools and asking students to use these tools, if they're valuable and students see the value in it, they will always do right. People don't want to. So when it comes to tools like AI, this is where I'm saying we have to engage in the conversations now. We have to be eyes wide open. I talk to my team about what what AI tools can we use to facilitate some of the more mundane tasks that we do. It's just a new reality. So if we're saying students aren't going to do a first draft potentially using chat GPT, I think that's a little naive. Will they just hand it in? No, I, I, I don't think that they would do that, but we have to be prepared for it, I guess. Do you think there's an analogy at all, and maybe you don't, that, remember, we're of a vintage, Cole's Notes, when they suddenly came out with that series, that was going to destroy English class. Everyone was going to be cheating. We're all going to have the same answer to some Shakespeare analysis. But it ended up being quite uh, additive and yeah. something that aided students, I guess, study. Would you say maybe there's a similar analogy that, as you note, the toothpaste is out of the tube. Yeah. Let's just learn how to involve AI in chat GPT. I love the word additive, um, and I'm going to borrow that when in this conversation from you. And if you think about these students, what, what are we trying to do? We're trying to educate them so that they're more informed, that so they can sort of see the world, figure out what they want to do, learn to read and write and think, uh, learn certain skills, learn certain content, and then they go out into the world of work. And it's it, the reality is going to be there for them right you know right then. So I I completely agree it's additive, and we need to we need to enable it. We need to help. I'm also a firm believer in the human loop. What they're talking about in terms of there's you can get content, but that human loop in the AI process is critical. So we we need to be understanding more and more. You know, as a content provider, I guess you know I could bury my head under the pillow and think, oh no. But I actually think the need for vetted, valued content increases in this space. Um, and how do we ensure that? How do we ensure that we are evaluating? Those are the big questions. And I, and I get why there's a, a great deal of fear. I, 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 I share certain aspects of that. We have to work, though, with our students and, and, and help them, I think. Well, aligned with the rise of AI is the role of fake news or misinformation uh, is this an issue that you have had to deal with? Uh, I think anybody who reads the news has has to deal with it. But we, uh, part of what we do within our publishing group is uh, we're very proud of the processes that we go through. So different types of content go through different uh, processes. But uh, in our journals, uh, in our books, there's editorial advisory, there's peer-to-peer reviewing, um, there are all sorts of sort of steps in order to produce the content that we produce. And as I said, I think that's huge value add these days uh, when it comes to things like fake news and this proliferation of content that you can't necessarily attribute. Uh, so the more that we we really focus on continue that value content and find its place within these new ecosystems, I think the better. Well, this is certainly not breaking news. People love to shop online. I want to ask Jessica, what's the role of your e-commerce site? Has it affected the traffic in your physical bookstores? 
Yeah, I think if you want to buy a University of Toronto hoodie, buy it online, buy it in the bookstore, buy it wherever you want, uh, I would say. I think e-commerce, uh, it's, you know, it's as you said, it's just adds to the existing experience. Uh, we have found, you know, the traffic in the bookstores uh, since COVID has sort of risen back up, which is wonderful. I think it's, a, it's about that experience. You're on campus and you want to go, you want to sort of see what's available. What's been interesting to me on uh, some of the social media, we I have a glass here, I'm drinking water out of a glass that has the University of Toronto and it's it's a glass that looks like a pop can, but it's a glass. And we couldn't keep it in stock. And I, you know, I, I couldn't understand. And uh, apparently somebody had put it on WeChat and it became incredibly popular. So I love when students sort of take something and, and as I mentioned on Instagram or the like, and it becomes popular because of that. Uh, so online, both retail, the e-commerce experience, but then also the social media has just added a whole new layer to, to what we do. Well, Indigo very famously is not just a bookseller, and that's been for better and for worse. They seem to go up and down as time goes. But I guess I'm correct that your retail bookstore isn't just a bookseller either. Do you kind of keep an eye on Indigo and what they do? And do you try to have a breadth of different products and assortment? Or do you kind of stick to your knitting, so to speak? Yeah, I think Indigo, we have such a tight relationship when it comes to our distribution center and our publishing center. When it comes to our retail because we are, uh, now I, I want anybody walking along college and they see the St. George Campus uh, Bookstore, please go in because there's lots of wonderful stuff. And particularly if you're shopping for the holidays and similarly in the Mississauga and Scarborough, there's always something interesting, even if you're not a U of T alum or, or a U of T student. But I think in our retail spaces, we are so much partnered with the university. So it's really about what's what's happening there. Indigo, though, in uh, if our, our distribution clients is obviously a, a major partner, as well as uh, to a certain extent for our publishing program. So watching um, with great interest on the various uh, changes and, and stuff afoot at Indigo, for sure. Is the marketplace for selling used books still a thing? I used to love hunting down the ones that already had all the good parts underlined and highlighted, <laughs> make my job easy. Is used books still a thing? To a certain extent, although it's really much more something we talked about earlier, uh, sort of downloads, uh, counterfeit books are, in, are a very interesting phenomenon. I never thought that there would be such a thing as a counterfeit textbook, but they exist. Uh, it's amazing to me. So they're there for sure. But as I mentioned, I think so much of the focus is on that direct digital experience for students that much like the traditional textbook, the used book is also seeing a, a, a real shift downward um, and not as much interest. Now, of course, Jessica, you are a U of T alumnus. Does that kind of enhance the role you have now, having been there as a student and now to be there in a, di in a different capacity? So I did do some through Rotman uh, at U of T, but my undergrad was actually at McGill and then my uh, some master's studies were at UBC. So I feel like the Rotman experience obviously ties me to the university. But to me, it's really exciting because I got to be a part of, in sort of my uh, student years, a couple of other campuses to be so closely aligned. And the University of Toronto is extraordinary. It really is. Uh, just uh, you, you asked about walking on campus. I have to say some of those those moments when I just think I'm so fortunate I, and it, often it's walking around seeing these wonderful buildings or meeting 
a professor or one of our uh, board members or whoever for uh, a meeting on campus is is really extraordinary. So I'm happy at this stage in my life, this late in my life, I'm able to actually be part of uh, the university campus more fully. Keeps you young, as they say. Exactly. Now, in your two years there, Jessica, I want to know if any interesting celebrity or boldface name interactions, uh, does Bob Ray still hang around campus? Uh, yes. Well, I know that you you had a recent uh, interview with Bob. There's been a number. Again, the the authorship is so amazing. Um, we uh, we published Rose Patton's book, uh, the Chancellor uh, of the University, recently, and she was phenomenal. One interesting, we published Michael Wilson's uh, memoir, so we actually um, launched it at Rotman, and Brian Mulroney came, and Pamela Wallen came to interview Brian uh, and his years, Prime Minister Mulroney's years. Uh, working with Michael Wilson. And that was really nice. It was a wonderful. I spoke with uh, the former prime minister afterwards, and he was lovely. Uh, and uh, uh, yes, so that was a that was a wonderful event. It was it was really great. But there are many, many of them. I, I, I feel like I'm leaving too many people out in, in even just describing one. It's great to have that kind of community there. Yeah. What is next for UTP? So we have, I mentioned, I think uh, we are celebrating our 125th anniversary in a couple of years. So we're very much focused on how we celebrate the past and this amazing uh, legacy. I'm reading some histories of the press and it's so interesting to me to kind of all the twists and turns and things. So looking at celebrating the past, but with a real eye to what's coming. And uh, I think um, I've mentioned a few of the things in terms of uh, our distribution center really in distribution, there's a lot of disruption in that space, and there are not a lot of distributors in Canada anymore. So we're playing more and more of a critical role for those important Canadian publishers and the like. So we really want to work on augmenting that position and make sure that there's longevity for these uh, for that kind of supply chain in this space. Um, so we're working very much on that. And we're also looking at, as I already mentioned in our retail space, how we can work more collaboratively more around experiences for undergraduate students, and a lot of that's around digital and the like. And then our our publishing, we're really leaning into the relevance. I think that's what that's been so much a part of of UTP is our relevance uh, within the cultural and literary landscape uh, over the years. So looking forward, how do we maintain that relevance? And a lot of it is uh, leaning into our strengths, but also I mentioned the Environment Journal and book that we did with David Miller. It's looking at other areas, environment. We just acquired a few medical journals this past summer. So looking at the medical space, things that appeal on a global audience um, and will continue, you know, that intertwine between social sciences. So a lot in health, food security, the things that are really relevant to our world uh, as we move forward in the next 20 years or so. So there's a lot of focus in those areas. That's great. It's very dynamic, always changing. Where can people interact with you? Are you on social media? I am active on LinkedIn. I gave up uh, the other other one a while ago. I just couldn't take it anymore, honestly. All power to those that stay on it. That's great. But I am on LinkedIn, so I'm very happy. And then I already mentioned our bookstore Instagram account. If anybody wants to follow us there, we have our um, our press website, our, our press, and, and we do remain on that other platform uh, through our other t- through our channels. But for me, I'm on LinkedIn. Would love, to, I'd welcome uh, uh, discussions or questions or our input and feedback on on the press and and uh, the work that we do. 
Fabulous. Well, that is all great. Jessica, it has been great to meet you. Great to hear about the whole UTP world. I want to thank you for your time and I want to wish you success going forward. Thank you so much, Andrew. It's been wonderful meeting you. It's been my pleasure to have you. And to the listeners, on behalf of Jessica Mosher, I am Andrew Applebaum saying thanks for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends Podcast. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. Hi, I'm Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon.